I'm wanting you to do a life audit. I said before, life is managed, not cured, and you are the manager. You are your life manager, and it is time to do an audit. Do you have people there that you just wish were not? It's Dr. Phil. This is Phil in the Blanks, and I am very excited about our session today. Let me tell you why. We have been talking about toxic personalities in the real world, and you are becoming an expert in personality disorders. Not because I want you to become a diagnostician, not because I want you to diagnose yourself, but because I want you to be able to spot red flags when you have certain toxic personalities in your life or if you have certain toxic characteristics in your own behavioral repertoire that you want to put on the to-do list to get rid of. Now, we talked about narcissism, four different types. We've talked about borderline personality and what to do about it. And then we talked about antisocial personality, which is kind of the worst of both of the other two, plus some new characteristics that I call getting weaponized with you as the target. Or if it's you that has those traits and characteristics, you lose control and you just tend to be aggressive instead of assertive. Now, If you're just joining this series on toxic personalities in the real world, I'm going to encourage you to go back to the first session on narcissism and listen to everything that we've talked about so far, because this is a building process. And as I said before, we're really doing an in-depth thing here. I'm not giving you a lot of citations from the literature. I'm not covering you up with a lot of statistics, but I'm telling you a lot of what you would learn if you were in graduate school and you were being taught about these disorders. I'm not doing that because I want you to self-diagnose or diagnose others. As I said, I'm doing this because you can't deal with what you don't acknowledge. There may be people in your life where you say, oh, I don't understand why I get so frustrated with these people. Well, I'm going to tell you why you get so frustrated with these people. You get so frustrated with them because they're frustrating. They have traits and characteristics that victimize and create really undesirable outcomes for you and the people you love and care about. If some of the things we've been talking about seem to apply to you, okay, then that becomes a to-do list for you. I'm not asking you to sit in judgment of yourself or someone else. I'm asking you to acknowledge the existence of this. Why? Because you can't change what you don't acknowledge. And if you have somebody in your life that over and over and over again is driving you to the point of pulling your hair out, and you can't quite put your finger on what it is, I'm wanting to put your finger on it so you can go, okay, got it. It's not me. I'm not just a candy ass. I'm not oversensitive. 
these people are in fact toxic. And I now know how to describe that to myself. I now know what it is they do that is so infuriating. And because I recognize it, I can put up boundaries and not get sucked into it. I can keep from enabling them, and that's what I want to do. And as I said, if it's you, hold yourself to a higher standard. Be better than you have been. Toxic. What does toxic mean? Toxic means it's bad. It's contaminating. And think about this. And you may have heard me say this before. I say it because I just think it's a great way to think about it. When you go into a relationship, you either contribute or contaminate that relationship based on what you bring with you when you enter that relationship. If you bring with you a lot of pain, a lot of misery, a lot of hurt, from a prior relationship, then you're going to contaminate that. You meet somebody new, and you bring with you a lot of misery, then you're bringing misery into that relationship, and you don't want to do that. Maybe you just haven't been able to admit it because you think, well, it's hard for me to admit my flaws. Let me tell you, ego is not your amigo. You don't want to do that. You want to be honest with yourself. Winners deal with the truth. And if you've got somebody in your life that fits the characteristics that we've talked about, acknowledge that you have someone toxic in your life. You can't change what you don't acknowledge. So if you don't admit it, then you can never put it on your to-do list. You can never talk to them about it. You can never get in front of a therapist. You can never come up with a plan to create change. And that's what I want you to do. There's nothing that can't be worked on. And here's a little cheat sheet for you. Everybody has problems. You got them. I got them. Your spouse has them, your brother has them, your sister has them. But if they accumulate to the point that they're interfering with the healthy pursuit of goals, then they become change-worthy. Let's talk about toxicity a little more. I don't want you to feel like you're being judgmental, but let's just be honest. Because I think toxicity is defined in behaviors. You are what you do. If you paint, you're a painter. If you sing, you are a singer. (laughs) If you manipulate, you're a manipulator. If you lie, you're a liar. I mean, come on. This is not rocket science. If you've got somebody in your life that is aggressive and manipulative and gaslights you, then you got a lion, manipulative, gaslighter. That's just who they are. Let's just be honest. Let's just call it what it is. Now, what I want to talk about today is the fact that we've described these as though they are kind of distinct entities, right? We said 
narcissism is a diagnosis. We said borderline personality disorder is a diagnosis. We said antisocial personality disorder is a diagnosis. And I said, that's good because it lets the therapists know what they need to treat. And there's different treatments for different disorders. But in the real world, I also told you that these things don't happen in a vacuum. There's comorbidity. They often occur with other disorders like anxiety or depression. Let me tell you what I also believe. And what I've told you up to now is really steeped in research. And I challenge you to challenge me. If I've said something to you in one of these broadcasts that you think, that doesn't sound right, go look it up. Go talk to your therapist. Go to the library. If I've said something that you think doesn't sound right, check me out. Fact check me. Because trust me, I fact check me. I've researched these things before I say them, and then I have my research team research me before I let these things go. We do our homework. And what I'm telling you is true. What I'm going to tell you now is based on my experience, not on some research paper or plan. I believe that not only do these disorders occur comorbid with other things like depression and anxiety, they also blur the lines and boundaries. I don't think borderline personality and narcissism are distinct disorders from each other in the real world. I don't think antisocial personality is always a distinct disorder from some of the others in the real world. And I think people flash in and out of different traits and characteristics. And so I've come up with a concept that has made a lot of sense to me over many, many years, and it's something I call Bader. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Julio Gallarotti, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant, Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. This is kind of a combination of the bad traits and characteristics that I see blur the lines among these diagnoses. B stands for backstabber. A stands for abuser. I stands for imposter. T stands for taker. E stands for exploiter. And R stands for reckless. Bader. These are just kind of the worst characteristics that draw from all of the different diagnoses. I want to talk to you about these people because I believe 
that these are the truly dangerous people in your life. Bader. Think about what I just said. Backstabbers. Now, are there narcissistic people that are backstabbers? Of course there are. Are there borderline personality disorders that'll stab you in the back? Well, stab you in the back is not a clinical term. That's why I say this isn't in a research paper. This is my clinical experience. I'm talking about people that will undercut you, sabotage you, go behind your back, and make things worse for you. They're not trying to help you win. They're trying to make things bad for you. They're trying to make you fail. Abusers. Mentally, emotionally, physically. Imposters, they're not who they appear to be. They show you one face when they're really somebody else. They'll pretend to be your friend when, in fact, they're talking behind your back. They'll tell you that they're supporting you when, in fact, they're undercutting you because they want what you have. They're takers. You'll notice in the relationship, it's all one way. It's always about them. They will suck you dry. You're always the go-to person. Exploiters. These are the people that will use you up. They will let you do things for them. They will blame you for things. They will let you do the work and take the credit. They will blame you. They will gaslight you. And these are reckless people. They're not concerned about your safety or well-being or the career or your children or how they're getting along at school. They don't care. They care about one thing, and that's themselves. Now, the first thing I want you to do is you've got to trust yourself because I'm going to ask you to make a list and check it twice. Let's do a scan in your life. Now, you don't often do this, but I really want you to stop and think using the characteristics that I'm using here, which are not clinical terms. I'm telling you that. But you know what I mean. I'm trying to use plain talk terms. Make a list that your gut tells you in your life are bad news. I'm not saying you can prove it. I'm not going to ask you for data. I'm not going to have you go back and fill out 10 examples. I'm just telling you, let's just go with instinct right now. Scan your life. Who in your life do you have an uneasy feeling about? Your intuition, instinct, whatever. You're not going to have to defend it right now. I just want you to listen to yourself. Let's start with your family, your in-laws, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, the people that you're around. And then let's extend it to your work relationships. If you're a career man or woman, the people at work. Who do you have in your work circle if you have a career working outside the home? 
or if you work inside the home, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, you still have relationships where you have to work to run that home, to run those kids in their school and all of this. Who in your relationships do you just have that uneasy feeling about? Let's not ignore that anymore. You don't have to defend it. Just who do you have an uneasy feeling about? Write those people down. Let's acknowledge it. I've done this exercise, and I went back historically, and I want you to now do that as well. Go back. What we've done so far is family and work. Let's extend it to friends. I'm not talking about somebody you see once a year. I'm talking about people in your orbit. Do a scan. Who in your orbit do you have an uneasy feeling about? You don't need to be able to explain. Just who do you have an uneasy feeling about? Write it down. Now let's go back historically. Five years. Ten years. Back to college. Back to high school. Back to your first job. Are there people that looking over your shoulder, you just had an uneasy feeling about? Who was it? Who did you have an uneasy feeling about that you didn't do anything about? They just set off these feelings in your stomach, just these red flags going off. You didn't know how to articulate it, but you just had that feeling. Ex-husband, ex-wife, mother-in-law, sister-in-law, whoever it is. Now, why am I having you do this? I'm having you do this because (laughs) we're going to do something about these people in a little while. And it's going to be very freeing when we do. We'll get to that. I'm going to give you eight identifiers that may help you expand this list. I ask you to just go on your gut. Now let me give you some things that might expand the list. This is what I call the evil eight. These are the eight characteristics that these people tend to have that might make them get on that list if they aren't already there. Do they see the world through a lens of arrogant entitlement and frequently treat people as targets? Is there anybody in your life that tends to see the world through a lens of arrogant entitlement? They just think they're entitled and they treat people as targets. Number two, do they lack empathy? They don't feel for anybody else, just themselves. Three, are they incapable of feeling remorse, guilt? They fail to learn from situation to situation. You've seen them do something that you thought, well, it's really stupid, and then they do it again and again. They do not learn from situation to situation. Number four, are there people in your life that are just irresponsible and self-destructive, and do they disregard not only well-being for themselves, but also for others? Do they put themselves at risk and you with it? 
Do they do things that put your job in peril, your safety in peril? Have they put your children in peril? Poor judgment. Done things that's just irresponsible and self-destructive, and it washes off on others around them. Do you have people that thrive on drama and crisis? They're just not satisfied unless there's some big drama, some crisis. They thrive on it. They need it. And it seems to follow them around. If there's a crisis, if there's drama, they're always right in the middle of it. There might be a drama at church. And then there was some big problem at the grocery store. Then there was some big problem at school. And the common denominator was that person. They were at the church. They were at the supermarket. They were at school. They are the common denominator. It follows them around. I mentioned this one earlier. Do they brag about outsmarting other people? There's somebody in your life, but they'll sit around and say, oh, boy, I tell you, my last job, I had that boss thinking that I was working 60 hours a week and I didn't do anything. Now, somebody that'll brag about that, that's dumb. That's not okay. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Number seven, if you look back through their lives, do they have a pattern of short-term relationships? They just don't seem to be able to last with anybody. And Lastly, do they live in a fantasy world marked by delusion? I mean, you have a way of seeing the world. Everybody else has a way of seeing the world, and then they see it differently. They just are in la-la land. They live in a world of their own. These eight, what I call the evil eight, see the world through an arrogant lens of entitlement, lack of empathy, no remorse, irresponsible, self-destructive, thriving on drama and crisis, bragging about outsmarting other people, pattern of short-term relationships, and living in a fantasy world. Does that expand your list of who you had on there to begin? Because I'm wanting you to do a life audit. I said before, life is managed, not cured, and you are the manager. You are your life manager, and it is time to do an audit. Do you have people there that you just wish were not? Maybe they meet some of those eight. Maybe they meet them all. But let me tell you, we're going to do something about that. Now, these people are the ones that I call baiters. These are the ones that I call baiters. And that's my term. I told you that's not a clinical term. That's my term. Backstabbers, abusers, imposters, takers, explorers, reckless. Do you have them in your life? Now, here's another thing that might explain your list, because these people have certain ways of getting into your life. And I'm going to ask you, Are there people that got into your life using these tactics? They infiltrate your life seducing you with promises or flattery. Think about it. You might call it love bombing. You just might call it manipulation. But did you have somebody that infiltrated? They wormed their way into your life seducing you with promises and flattery, telling you what you wanted to hear. 
did they manipulate you into becoming a conspiratorial confidant? Let me tell you what I mean by that. They're the kind of person that got you over to the side and it's like you and I, we'll have secrets between us. And let me tell you why that's a problem. First off, gossip's bad, generally speaking, but these are the people that will get you off and they will share a secret with you because they understand the principle of reciprocity. They will tell you something that's kind of intimate, kind of private, like they might share something with you about the boss and you reciprocate at the same level. You think, well, this person's being very transparent with me, so I'll be transparent with them. Only problem is what they told you was a lie. It was just bait. And then you reciprocate with something that's genuine. And then they'll go behind your back and tell the boss what you said. And then the boss calls you in and says, I was talking to Becky, and um, she said you told her that you think I act like I'm high on the job sometimes. Did you say that? And you may have actually said that in a candid moment after she said something that pulled for that. She may have said, hey, oh, I heard the boss went out with some of his direct reports last night, and they were out at a club till 3 in the morning, and I thought he looked loopy when he came in today. And you may say, oh, my, yeah, I think sometimes I wonder if he's kind of high. Maybe you said it kind of joking or whatever, but she goes, hey, you know, Shirley told me she thinks you're high on the job. It's not what you meant. I didn't know how you said it, but she drew you in, and now she's got you. Are they way too focused on getting your approval as though their very existence depends on you accepting them? I just got to have your approval. Do they ask too damn many questions? It's like they're always gathering data on you. They're always building a file. I mean, at first it seemed like they were just really interested in you. But as it goes on, it's like, what is this? 20 questions? They constantly misdirect about who they are. But they got a lot of questions about you. No matter what happens about a problem, they always blame others. They lie. Maybe to your face, or you may see them do it with somebody else. They either lie by omission or just straight up make a misstatement. They're frauds. They cheat. They maybe steal property, small or large, taking stuff home from the work or whatever. They take credit for other people's work. They may claim false competencies. You see them do it maybe with a boss or whatever, or 
just at a cocktail party, if it's somebody in the neighborhood bragging about something that you know is a damn lie. If they have any power at all, it goes to their head. All these questions they ask, they've identified your sensitivities. They'll push those hot buttons. They seem to have a selective memory. They're revisionist historians. They always remember things the way they want them to be remembered. They're two-faced. They spread lies and gossip. They kind of have a get-them-before-they-get-me attitude. It's like they're paranoid. The world's out to get them, so they're going to get them first. And they are passive-aggressive. They don't confront somebody straight up. They just go behind their backs. Now, does this expand your list? Okay. Now think about it. Because I want you to have this list because I want you to stop being a damn target. I can tell you there is nothing nothing more freeing than getting toxic people out of your life. Giving yourself permission to get toxic people out of your life. You don't have to have this be a life sentence. And you can give yourself permission to get these people out of your life. Trust me, When you get toxic people out of your life, when you get toxic people to stop talking about you, stop talking behind your back, it's like the trash took itself out. You have no idea how nice your life can be if you do this life audit and you get these people to hell out of your life. The first thing you're going to notice is how much energy you're not wasting managing these damn people. How much they don't suck you dry. And that's really important. Because what I want you to spend time on is a strategy. A strategy for being in this world. Because you need a strategy to win, and I want you to have that. It begins with cleaning up your life. And cleaning up your life begins with giving yourself permission to get rid of people that your gut tells you don't belong in your life. They've just been there. Why are they there? They're there today because they were there yesterday. And they're there Yesterday, because they were there the day before. They're not there because you want them there. They're not there because they have your best interest at heart. They're just there because they were already there, and that is no reason to have people be there. You need people in your life because they have a right to be in your life, not because they're squatters. You need to give yourself permission to get these people out of your life. You giving yourself permission to do this is going to begin with you realizing that you have to start a new day and you have to have a defined image in your life. Look, I believe in a defined product. Think about Dr. Phil. When you think about me, you don't confuse me with anybody else, do you? 
People may love me, they may hate me, but they do not confuse me with anybody else. When you think, Dr. Phil, you know what you're going to get. And that is not by accident. I am who I am on purpose. I have a defined image of who I am in my mind. And I am committed to that. I am going to ride that horse to the end. I have decided who I am. I am at peace with that. And I am committed to that. And I am going to ride that horse to the end. I've been riding it for 45 years. I am committed to it. It doesn't mean I can't evolve. It doesn't mean I can't grow. But the core values of who I am are who I am. Who are you? If who you are is letting toxic people populate your landscape, then you need to change that. And I'm telling you, give yourself permission to eliminate toxic people from your life. That's why I wanted you to do an audit. That's why I gave you eight different things. Do these people have any of these eight qualities or characteristics? Do they use any of these 15 tactics to get in your life? Your gut said, put this number of people on the list. I gave you eight different characteristics, 15 different tactics. Does that broaden the list? Whoever is on that list, give yourself permission. You have to have a defined image, and that image should not be someone that populates their landscape with toxic people. Get them out of your life. And you say, what do you mean get them out of your life? Choose not to spend time with them. Put up boundaries. They want to come over to your house and create drama, then you have the right to assertively, not aggressively, assertively say, listen, I'm sorry. I don't have time for this tonight. I don't have energy for this. I'm going to ask you to excuse yourself and take this with you. So are you asking me to leave? Yes, I thought I was clear. I'm asking you to leave. Well. I'm not good enough for you. I'm going to let you interpret this however you want. What I'm telling you is I don't want this drama in my life, and I want you to be somewhere else. So I wish you nothing but the best. I hope you find peace and happiness somewhere else. But it's not working for me, and I need some space. So thank you, and good night. And that's all you have to do. You have to give yourself permission to do that. You have to control your relationships, and that has to be part of your image. I am someone that controls my relationships. I am not a victim. I don't let other people control my relationships. I've said a million times, if you're in a hole, quit digging. Don't let these people continue to drag you down. You need to decide who you are going forward, not who you are in the past. Look, everybody was somebody else yesterday. We all evolve. I don't care who you were yesterday. I want to know who you choose to be today. And you have to decide what that self-image is. And that self-image needs to be, I'm not going to let toxic people control my life. 
I have the right to assertively put up boundaries. So that's one characteristic of this new image I'm asking you to embrace. A second characteristic that I want you to embrace is what is your uniqueness? What about you is unique? And I'll tell you why I want you to know that. Because it is critically important to me that you star in your own life. It's critically important to me that you star in your own life. And think about it. If you don't star in your life, who will? You may be thinking, okay, Dr. Phil, you've lost me now. I'm a stay-at-home mom married to a plumber. So exactly how do you want me to star in my life? Well, how much time you got? Because I will tell you how I want you to star in your life. I want you to star as a wife. I want you to star as a mother. I want you to star as a Christian, as a volunteer. I want you to star at your job. I want you to star in every walk of life that you occupy. I want you to be the absolute best that you can be. I want you to have star quality. I want you to take pride and star in your own life. Do not feel like a bit player in your own life. And I'm not talking about you have to wear a crown on your head or have spotlights and cameras on you all the time. That's not what being a star is about. Being a star is about being good at what you do and taking pride and having passion in everything that you do. And it doesn't matter what that is. It doesn't matter what you do. What matters is that you take pride in what you do. I guarantee you, if I'm mowing the yard, and I'm going to be honest, I don't mow the yard a lot, but if I do, I'm going to take pride in it. If I get up in the morning and shave, I take pride in shaving well. If, if I get up and make the bed, I'm going to make it well. Whatever you do, do it well. I mean, come on, let's start having some pride, some personal pride in everything we do. That is terribly, terribly important. When you do well, you're going to get praised for it, and you need to learn to accept that. You know, it always puzzles me when somebody does really well at something and somebody says, hey, great job. You go, oh, listen, no, it was nothing. No, it wasn't nothing. Doing a great job at anything isn't nothing. It's something. When you get praise, learn to say thank you. Thank you for that. If you do something really well, something really special, and somebody steps up and says, hey, great job on handling those kids this morning. Well, thank you for noticing. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Learn to accept praise. Learn to give yourself praise. So that's the beginning. I have a lot more to say about this, but I'm saying do a life audit and decide who in your life needs to not be there? Who doesn't have the right to be there? Who hasn't earned the privilege of being in your life? Because you are a quality person and you deserve 
to have quality people in your life, you deserve to not have toxic people in your world. And because you run your own life, because you are your own life manager, manage those people out of your life and make that part of your image, your self-image. I don't have toxic people in my life. I've set up boundaries. I control my relationships. And I'm not going to have those people in my life. And I'm going to star in my life. I'm going to take pride and passion in the things that I do. Very important. Now, we're going to talk more about this next Tuesday, but I want to take some questions from you guys right now because I said I would, and then we're going to continue this the next two Tuesdays. We're going to pick up here. We've done a life audit. You've identified those toxic people. We've talked about a new image. We've talked about starting in your own life. We're going to pick up there next Tuesday, but I want to answer some questions now. And my producer, Lafern, is going to join and communicate some of your questions because I want to answer them. So, Lafern? Thank you so much, Dr. Field. I have never received so many questions from our fill-in-the-blanks community. Here are some of them. Can a bipolar daughter and a borderline personality disorder mother ever be able to work out their relationship? And this is from Jenny. Well, and that's a great question, Jenny. So thank you for asking that. First off, I need to identify that I am the incurable optimist. And you said bipolar daughter and borderline mother, correct? Correct, yes. And this is from the grandmother of the bipolar daughter. Okay. So she has a bipolar granddaughter and a borderline personality daughter. Yes. Okay. My answer is, I can't think of a reason why they cannot have a good relationship. First off, bipolar, I would want to know if it's bipolar one or bipolar two. Bipolar one has much more manic phases than bipolar two, and it is the most disruptive of the two. Let's assume the worst. Let's assume that it's bipolar one, and so she has sustained manic episodes. This is a disorder that is very manageable. This is one of those things that with psychopharmacology in combination with cognitive behavioral therapy is very manageable and does not have to be highly disruptive to someone's life if they manage it and they're compliant with the medical regimen. So that doesn't have to be a problem. And with a borderline personality mother, if in fact that is an accurate diagnosis, if that mother is willing to present herself for help and therapy, then by all means, she can work to manage and control that. And if she does that and gets some insight, of her own, then they can certainly do some therapy together. There is a particular type of therapy called dialectical behavior therapy that can be very helpful with a borderline personality disorder. 
and it really can help. It's kind of a cognitive behavioral therapy with an added strong emphasis on change and acceptance on balance change. And they identify and change negative internal dialogue, and they push for positive behavioral change. And one of the things that they really focus on is distress tolerance, because borderline personalities are very reactive, and they tend to overreact and dramatize everything. And one of the things that DBT does is help people through mindfulness, which is a meditative type part of the therapy, help people to live in the moment, and they learn to observe and accept what's happening in the moment instead of judging and avoiding what's happening. It helps them control their reactivity and allows them to go further into their relationships. So this is an evidence-based therapy. And by evidence-based therapy, we mean that there is empirical evidence that demonstrates this therapy works. This was developed by Dr. Marsha Linehan, and she has done some fabulous research on this. So there's really great tools, clinical tools, to help with borderline personality disorder. And there is excellent help for bipolar disorder. So there's no reason in the world that these two cannot learn to have a great relationship between the two of them. Yeah. And I know that Robin just had on Mystic Michaela, who was talking about meditation and how you can come to terms with yourself, right? Is that- right. And that just goes right back to the mindfulness and you're accepting who you are in the moment. And I'm particularly a fan of distress tolerance. The whole idea is, look, not everything in your life is going to be great. And so you learn to deal with it. Really, you're going to have problems. You just learn to deal with it. Okay, next question. In listening to the series, I'm wondering if anyone has any success in convincing someone with these disorders to get help. That's from Joe. Well, I'll let people respond to that on the message boards, but let me say this. I'll share a strategy that I've had in convincing people to accept help. When you tell someone, even if you say it from a place of love, you need help, it tends to cause people to be defensive because there's just a judgmental element to you need help. What I do instead, and I've had great success with this, and it sounds like maybe just semantics, but I tell you it makes a huge difference, is to say to that person, you deserve to have some assistance with this. I see you experiencing pain sometimes. I see you going through a lot of conflict. I really love you and care about you. And I just think you deserve better. I think you deserve some help with this. And there's something out there that I think can be very useful. And I think you deserve to have it. When you tell somebody that they deserve something rather than need something, I think it really helps disarm them and bring down the barriers sometimes. 
Uh, absolutely. And he was talking about his son. So I think that will help. Definitely. We also have the 44 year old mother of three. She hasn't spoken to her mother for over four years. She chose to cut her out of her life at this point. And she's a very toxic person. The very definition of communal narcissist. How can I deal with her and get along in this life with her? Let me just say this. What upsets people in life is oftentimes not what actually happens. What upsets people is violation of your expectations. So if your expectation is that your mother behave a certain way and not behave a certain way, and then she violates that expectation, then you're going to be upset. Now, if you go into this where you don't have that expectation, where you say, okay, look, she has a problem with this. That's just who she is. And that's probably not going to change. And if it does, it's not going to be by me because this is above my pay grade. I'm willing to engage with her without judgment. I'm going to love the parts of her that I can because I'm going to realize I don't have to love everything she does in order to love her. So I don't have to love all of her behaviors in order to love her, and I'm not going to set up a false expectation that somehow since the last time I saw her, she miraculously cured herself from this communal narcissism. So I'm going to go in there. I'm not going to have that expectation, and I'm just going to love her, recognizing I don't have to love everything she does. So I'm going to leave my judgments at home. I'm just going to go over there and love that part of my mother that gave birth to me, that changed my diapers that held me when I was sick, that fed me when I was hungry, that picked me up at school, that did all the things that she did that were sacrifices in her life at a different time, and maybe she wasn't perfect even at that. But she got me this far, and I'm going to love her for that, and maybe I can tell her she deserves some help and just not be quite as judgmental as she might otherwise be. I love that. And from Bobby, um, she says, uh, mother has a major borderline personality disorder and the beginning of Alzheimer's. And she said, Dr. Phil, I need your help with my mother. We don't know what to do with her. My stepfather just had a heart surgery and I'm trying to care for him, but she's extremely jealous of me. How do I get along with that? First, thank you for your question. I think you have to put things in order. And if she is in the throes of Alzheimer's early stages, I would recommend that you get as much education as you can about her condition so you understand what her capabilities are, because there will be limitations and it is probably progressive. And you want to be sure that you're not asking her to do something or manage something that's just outside of her capabilities. On the other hand, 
you don't want to fail to require her to do 100% of everything she is capable of doing. So don't infantilize her by treating her in a way that doesn't require her to be all that she can be at whatever stage she is. But once you know that, once you know the parameters of her disease and where she is, and they've told you, okay, she does have the capacity to do A, B, and C, then recognize that this is a mental-emotional disorder on her part, and be smart. Be smarter than she is at this point and say, okay, she does see me as a threat. That's built into her. I know that. It's a classic characteristic of the narcissistic disorder. She sees my success as being at her expense. So I'm going to do everything I can to share with her that we draw from different accounts. My success comes from the child account. Her success comes from the parent account. And we can both draw down those accounts without costing the other anything. Let her know how proud I am of her and how much I value her acceptance and pride in me. If she can ever get her mind around the fact that your success does not cost any withdrawals from her self-worth account, you just might turn a corner. Oh, I love that. This is from someone that actually was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder since he was seven. How can I control this situation and my explosive anger? And this is from Stake. Thank you for the question. And I am so proud of the fact that you have enough insight to be asking the question because it tells me that you recognize, A, that you have borderline personality, if in fact you do, and that you have explosive anger rather than blaming the world, which means you're owning the fact that the anger is yours and that's explosive. There are four subtypes. These are not in the DSM. They're just kind of recognized by those that work with this a lot. There is a subtype that is generally referred to as petulant, and it expresses itself through anger and an unworthy feeling. Those two things are real key. I would ask you to really focus on how you feel about yourself. You are never weaker than when you're angry. Because think about it, you're angry because you feel victimized. There's no other reason to be angry than seeing that the world has victimized you in some way. So ask yourself, not what you can do with your anger, what you can do with your feelings of worth and strength. Because the more worthy you feel and the stronger you feel, the less likely you are to default to your anger. So really work on your feelings of self-worth. I'd start by itemizing the things that you're most proud of, the things that you think are best about you personality-wise, intellectually, relationally, achievement-wise. 
let's focus on who you are and why you are a good human being. And I think you might feel victimized a whole lot less. Oh my God. I love that. And of all the, like the questions that came in, steak was one of the people that I was like, oh wow, he's really analyzing what's happening with him and working through it and everything that like I've researched, it's he's doing. Well, it's great. Let me tell you, the best predictor of a good outcome to treatment, therapy, self-healing, whatever, is insight. You can't change what you don't acknowledge, and he is acknowledging the issue and the problem, and that bodes very well for positive change. I'm learning so much from this. Some of the people that I come in contact with, I don't know that they have some of the disorders that you say, but it's like, oh my gosh, I can identify and I can use the strategies and work to build a stronger self in me. So thank you. Well, as I said earlier, I want to thank everybody that's given us such great feedback about this. And I want to say how much I'm getting out of this because you never learn more about something than when you have to crystallize it in your mind and make a coherent presentation of it. My working with all of these in doing this series, it's like sharpening your tool. I've gotten a lot out of this and am getting a lot out of this, so it's helping me a lot as well. So I really appreciate everybody's great feedback and it's inspired me to dig in and you know how much research I do and I feel like I'm getting as much out of it as anybody that's listening. I do want to say again to everyone, I'm really so proud of this series and I want everyone to contact at least one friend, one person that you really love and care about and ask them to subscribe to Fill in the Blanks and start at the beginning of this series. Don't ask them to start in the middle of this or jump in on one particular disorder you think that may be relevant to them. Start at the beginning of this series, Toxic Personalities in the Real World, and listen. If you've gotten a lot out of this, share it with somebody you love and care about because we've got some great things coming up Find at least one person and get them to subscribe and join with you so you have somebody that you can resonate with about this. So I appreciate your support. Thank you, and I'll see you next Tuesday.